Issues Etc. relies on a small group of faithful supporters called the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. These listeners have pledged to become monthly or annual contributors to Issues Etc., and this allows us to budget our expenses more efficiently. Now, there are four levels of giving. The Confessor, $25 monthly, or an annual gift of $250. The Apologist, $50 monthly, or an annual gift of $500. The Reformer, $100 monthly, or an annual gift of $1,000. And The Patron, $200 monthly, or an annual gift of $2,000. Reformation Club benefits include shirts, books, broadcast transcripts, and advertising for confessional Lutheran churches. Learn more about joining the Issues Etc. Reformation Club on the support donate page at issuesetc.org and look for the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses or call Lynn 618-223-8385. The Issues Etc. Reformation Club. Contrary of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, with stanza three of the hymn, Christ Sits at God's Right Hand. They sing there of a blood unlike the blood of goat or calf, a seal of God's guarantee of grace that cannot fail. It's popular among some Bible scholars to present theories of the atonement as though the Bible doesn't actually teach anything definitive about Christ's atonement. Can you have forgiveness of sins if Christ's blood does not atone for sin. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Live on this Tuesday afternoon, October the 24th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to talk about the blood atonement. Dr. John Bombaro will be our guest. Then an hour two of Issues Etc. We'll talk about our modern culture's lies about sexuality, faith, feminism, gender roles, and modesty. Dr. Rosaria Butterfield will be our guest, author of the new book, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. Dr. John Bambaro is Director of Theological Education for Eurasia for the Office of International Mission of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's author of a column titled, The Life is in the Blood. John, welcome back. Thank you for welcoming me back, Todd. What do you make of the common idea, sadly common idea, that Scripture teaches an atonement, and all we can do is formulate theories about it, yet there's no scriptural way to determine which theory is correct? Well, that's an unfortunate common notion, but we can't. The fact is we have Scripture, and Scripture interprets Scripture for us, which is a a wonderful thing, keeping us within the parameters of God's truth. So in the Old Testament, we have the foundation for atonement articulated for us in a variety of different places. One we'll talk about today in Leviticus 17, but elsewhere. And then we have Jesus himself coming, providing us with the Christological paradigm for understanding the fulfillment of the Hebrew scriptures. So Christ himself determines how we're to understand those things. And then praise be to God, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have the apostles, particularly the apostle Paul, who explains 
exactly what that Christological understanding of Christ's fulfillment of things laid down in the Old Testament are for us. And this is why we have all of these readings taking place during the divine service. We have the Old Testament. It tends to be uh, prophetic and, and typological. Christ coming and giving us the reality and fruition of it in the Holy Gospel. And then the epistles, the apostles are showing us themselves on how to interpret the scriptures rightly in the light of the great Christic event, what Jesus has accomplished for us. So there is a, a scriptural way to determine it, and it's given to us internal to scripture itself. At this point, our responsibility is to be obedient to scripture and to interpret in the way that it's self-presenting with its inbuilt hermeneutic. In a nutshell, why is Leviticus 17 indispensable? for understanding the Bible's teaching of Christ's atonement for sin. Well, it goes right back to what we were just saying, is that it's laying a foundation for us. It's indispensable for us because there's so much that's articulated in there. There are particular prohibitions. There's an explanation why. There's an, an articulation with regards to what is in the blood, what the blood consists of what God has given that blood to us for, what is the purpose or the end outcome of it. So this text is so important, especially when Jesus weaves it into John chapter 6 in his Bread of Life discourse. It becomes absolutely illuminating, not only for that, but for Holy Communion itself. So this text is, I think, one of the more critical texts in the Bible for understanding Christ's atonement. What does Leviticus 17, 10 through 14 actually say? It begins in verse 10, saying, If anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, No person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. Anyone also of the people of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn among them, who takes in hunting any beast or bird that may be eaten, shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. For the life of every creature is in its blood. Its blood is its life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature, for the life of the creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. Why did God forbid his people, based upon that passage, to consume blood? Yeah, there, it's woven in there, and not only that, not once or twice, but we get the, the prohibition not to eat the blood Six times, six times we're commanded, do not eat the blood. And five times we're told why. And that is because the life of every creature is in the blood, is in its blood. So there is an important correlation here. It's a correlative principle. Blood equals life, or conversely, life equals blood. God has explained to us in this passage what it's for. That blood has been preserved for us on the altar to make atonement for our souls because the life is in the blood. And so we have a number of very important concepts all being brought together in this passage and illuminated for us. Blood, altar, atonement, covenant, 
clearly this is a extremely important text regarding atonement. The very word atonement is in here and that on at least two occasions. For what purpose did God give his people blood? Well, he says here to make atonement on the altar for your souls. So this word atonement is an important one because it's a a uniquely English word for a biblical concept. We have to picture the word at and one, but then tack on meant to the end here to give it kind of a noun understanding. Atonement is a multifaceted term that entails reconciliation, restoration, and favor. It makes two or an enmity at one again. So the principal idea here is, is reconciliation. But there's also an, another important aspect in here, and that is the idea of participation or union or unition. And that is to say, when you eat something, you become at one with it. It is in you, it becomes bonded to you. So going back to the, your question here, why has God given it to us? To make atonement, to facilitate being at one with God because our sins have put us at enmity with him because our sins warrant judgment and death, because sin is high treason against the king, against the Lord. And so this is a means that God has provided in an exemplary way of how atonement, how reconciliation will be brokered, and he sets the terms. Where is the idea of blood atonement found in the New Testament? Well, we would find blood atonement in Romans chapter 5 and verse 11. I'll read from verse 9 for you. This is St. Paul. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have received the atonement. The at-one-ment has been achieved. How? By his blood upon the altar. And what is that altar? The altar is the Holy Cross itself. What is the relationship between atonement and reconciliation? Well, atonement is that which is going to broker reconciliation. So the enmity or the cause that would prevent being at one again, and that is to say the law of God, his justice, his righteousness, his holiness, the obstacle to that, namely our uncleanness, our unholiness, our rebellion, our guilt, that obstacle is removed and is removed by one whose life substitutes for our life in that regard. Now, there are going to be two concepts at play here, and both of them are important when it comes to Jesus' work on the cross, and particularly his death. One is representation. The other is substitution. But the two are not mutually exclusive, although each one can be narrated as highlighting very important dynamics of what takes on the Holy Cross. So, for example, Jesus is representative. He does represent us. He represents us in obedience. What kind of obedience? Obedience even unto death, even to the extreme of death on the cross. And so Jesus' death, he represents us. He represents me and he represents you. 
But there is also substitution, and that is substitution is that he actually takes the place of those that he represents. And in this, Jesus sheds his blood, his life blood, in the stead of us. For us, he does it. And this plays out quite clearly in Scripture, that Jesus doesn't go passively to the cross, but he goes willingly. He offers himself as a sacrifice in line with his own will. Just to give two examples from Galatians, the Son of God, this is to say our Lord Jesus Christ, gave himself for our sins, Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. And he loved me and gave himself for me, chapter 2 and verse 20. So Jesus is no passive victim. He is an active agent substituting, going in our place and in our stead and making a blood atonement the life being in the blood, the eternal life being in the blood on our behalf. So both concepts are at play there. And with respect to reconciliation, because Jesus has fulfilled the law on our behalf, representation, and Jesus has taken the penalty, this is true penal substitution, and made a propitiation of divine wrath in our place, in our stead, as our substitute, we are reconciled unto God. Dr. John Bambaro is our guest on the other side of the break. We'll find out how all of this comes together in Jesus' Bread of Life discourse in John chapter 6. Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Have you ever wondered about some of the more difficult topics or teachings of Scripture, such as what does the Bible say about polygamy or slavery or the free will, or what about law and gospel? The October issue of The Lutheran Witness is a twin to the August 2022 issue, and it takes up some of these difficult teachings of Scripture and explains them in detail. To get your copy, visit cph.org witness or the Lutheran Witness website witness.lsms.org. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. The weather is changing, the leaves are falling, and you'll soon be setting up your church's Christmon tree this Advent. But there's a problem. Remember, Aunt Mabel's Christmons are from the 80s. They're made of styrofoam, the glitter has dropped off, and they're being held together with toothpicks. Rush on over to Ad Crucem to fix the situation. We offer all the old designs and a whole lot of new ones. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. In the mid-19th century, German immigrants boarded ships to cross the Atlantic Ocean for a new land called America. Opportunity, unknown challenges, and preserving their Lutheran heritage awaited them after their months-long journey. Learn more about the humble beginnings of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in the latest issue of Interest Time. Visit interesttime.org to request your free copy. The cross is our theology. You're listening to Issues Etc.
Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. The Biblical Worldview Conference is Saturday, November 4th in Chicago. This year's theme is For Such a Time as This, Discernment, Boldness, and Compassion. Brian Wolfmiller, John Bombaro, and others will be speaking on gender-solid parenting, wokeism in schools, transgender pronouns, and sharing Christ in a woke culture. For more information, visit worldviewchicago.org. The Biblical Worldview Conference, November 4th in Chicago, worldviewchicago.org. From the letters that he wrote, we also know that Martin Luther was empathetic, sympathetic, and patient. He experienced anxiety and depression. His life was under threat. He was in near constant pain much of his last two decades of life. He had grieved the death of his children. He worried about the affection of his friends, and he wept at the death of his parents and friends. That's an excerpt from the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October, Martin Luther on Mental Health, Practical Advice for Christians Today. You'll find it at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House and ask for Martin Luther on Mental Health, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. Dr. John Babaro is our guest. We're talking about blood atonement. He's author of a column titled, The Life is in the Blood. John, bring all of this together from Leviticus and the sections of the New Testament we've discussed here in Jesus' Bread of Life discourse in John's Gospel. Well, it's pretty hard not to look back through what Jesus says in John chapter 6 through the eyes of Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, which states that we've been reconciled by the atoning blood of God. You have to picture the Jews are not recognizing that this is in fact the creator God, the very logos standing in front of them. And so they're going to miss part of this. And we too are also looking back through the eyes of Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 that states under the law almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins and so what we get in Jesus's atonement is the purification from sins in the plural through the shedding of his blood so when we get to a text like John chapter 6 we shouldn't be entirely astonished that the Jews who are engaging Jesus don't pick up at what he's laying down here because we're seeing it also clearly post facto with with uh, 2020 hindsight but as they're standing there Jesus already in the background with having fed the 5000 he now engages them and talks to them about himself being the bread of life and he doesn't just speak about this as a, as a mere idea. He says that the bread of life is, in fact, his flesh. And he speaks about it in a sacrificial way, that the bread that he will give for the life of the world is his flesh. And so, too, in the same text, Jesus says some astonishing things here with respect to drinking his blood. 
and saying remarkable things like whoever, and this is verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now, when Jesus starts talking about drinking blood, the Jews in his day, their minds would have immediately gone to the Torah, to the book of Leviticus, to chapter 17, and this prohibition on the one thing that you must not do is eat the blood. And now Jesus is there telling them that if they were going to have life, if they were going to be obedient to God, if they want to do God's will, it includes this and specifically this relating to the atonement to own him who is the atonement and to have your communion have your participation in his body in his blood what is the platonic reading of john 6 and why is that interpretation insufficient a platonic reading this is going back to the philosopher plato and so Plato believed that the realities were in the realm of ideas, where forms were, perfect things existed up there. And then down here on the lower sphere were just kind of shadows and images, but that the reality was never down here. So his view of reality were like two boards kind of stacked on top of each other, glued on top of each other. And the idea is to get from this lower board here, this lower domain to the upper one. When that is brought over into Christianity, the upper domain can be conceived of as like heaven and the lower one down here. And the realities are never down here, but up there. And they're up there as, as ideals. And so a platonic reading of this text leaves Jesus's response to the Jews and what they must be doing to do the will of God. And Jesus says to believe on him whom he has sent. And then he elaborates what they are to believe, namely that he is the bread of life, that his blood is the drink of God, that whoever feeds on his flesh and drinks his blood has eternal life and that he will raise them up on the last day. It leaves that just as a concept, an idea, a notion, something up there, out there. And so that if I connect my believing with an idea like that, then that's salvation. However, that is completely insufficient. It's insufficient because one, the text does not bear it at all. Two, Jesus is very explicit that he is speaking in concrete categories here. Many times in this text, Todd, it's interesting that Jesus uses a near demonstrative pronoun, and that is the word this, and he's being self-referential. Time and time again, he'll say something like, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. When he says this, we need to envision Jesus taking his hands and pointing to his own body, touching his own chest. He's being self-referential. And when they become offended, Jesus doesn't back away and say, oh, I, I'm sorry, I was just speaking in a metaphorical sort of way. These are just platitudes. I'm speaking in a platonic sense. No, he doubles down. He more than doubles down. And he even has to turn and challenge his disciples, that's to say the, the 12, when many of his disciples walk away on this because this is such a hard saying. And they're asking themselves, who can even listen to this kind of thing? Why? Because it's running right 
in the face of and quite counter to Leviticus 17 unless it is true that he is in fact the atonement, that his blood is the atoning blood of God that affects the reconciliation. So a platonic interpretation is just going to leave this in the realm of ideas and forms. Jesus is speaking to a Jewish culture in which physicality is deeply, deeply important. And here's just an example. In the Old Testament, it's heavily physical. Acacia wood, blood, scapegoats, offerings. And then you get to the New Testament, and it doesn't become platonic. It isn't pure spirituality. The New Testament opens with a pregnancy and a birth, with obstetrics and gynecology right at the opening. So, and then it doesn't go into a pure spirituality at that point. In fact, our salvation is carried out in grotesquely physical terms. Blood, scourging, thorns, splinters, sweat, the agony of the Son of God expiring and bleeding out on the Holy Cross. And then it doesn't become pure spirituality at that point either. Instead, we get a corpse that's resurrected and a human body taken up into the midmost mysteries of the Holy Trinity, and then Holy Communion committed to the church, not as some platonic ideal, but connected as the fulfillment of what Jesus is saying here. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Dr. John Bombaro is our guest. We're talking about the blood atonement. He's author of a column titled The Life is in the Blood. On the other side, we'll connect the blood atonement at the cross with the blood given for us to drink in the Eucharist. Dr. Stephen Saunders, professor of psychology at Marquette University and author of The Issues Etc., a book of the month, Martin Luther on Mental Health, Practical Advice for Christians Today. 500 years before mental health professionals started to do this, Luther was telling people, be aware of what you're thinking, be aware of how you're behaving, change them so that you can help yourself with your depression, with your anxiety. Learn more about Martin Luther on mental health at issuesetc.org. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we are rolling right along in our adventures in Acts with Almost Persuaded, Paul Sails for Rome a fateful decision, Paul's I told you so, and approaching land. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for the word of the Lord endures forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. This is Kevin Hildebrand, Cantor at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, inviting you to our campus in November for the annual Good Shepherd Institute Conference, November 5th through 7th. This year's conference includes addresses by Brian Spinks, Paul Grimm, and James Busher. And there's excellent music, including a Bach cantata with the Seminary Contarai and a hymn festival at St. Paul's Lutheran Church. For complete details, visit ctsfw.edu gsi. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, 
books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Sacramental. Historical. Liturgical. You're listening to Issues Etc. Relevant worship isn't about trying to look and act like the rest of the world to appeal to the culture around us, but relevant worship is about Christ. Hope Lutheran Church of Birmingham brings you truly relevant worship, where sinners gather to hear God's word and receive his gifts of forgiveness and peace. Visit us online at hopebham.org. That's hope, B-H-A-M.org. Or give us a call at 205-956-1930. We'll see you Sunday. Memoria Press is a worldwide leader in the publishing of classical Christian education. We have everything you need for students in kindergarten through 12th grade, and our materials can be used in any classroom setting to suit your needs. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 to save $5 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about the Blood Atonement with Dr. John Bombaro, Director of Theological Education for Eurasia for the Office of International Mission of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. John, if you would connect the Blood Atonement at the cross with the blood given for us to drink in the Lord's Supper. That is one in the same. It's one in the same. So what we have here is the blood that God has given to us to make atonement on the altar for our souls. This is actually fulfilled in the Holy Cross of Golgotha. Now, what's interesting is that in the fulfillment of the Leviticus text, we read in there that God says, I have given it to you to make atonement. Well, Christ had been given to us. He had been handed over and we betrayed him. Humanity betrayed him. And so we get the double entendre in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, where used to saying on the night in which our Lord Jesus was betrayed, but at the same time, it also equally means handed over, handed over or delivered by the Father to make blood atonement for our souls. This was the plan and promise of God all the way back in Leviticus, indeed going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 where having been divested of the glory presence of God, our first parents, following their sin, are given promissory garments of God. The skins, no doubt, of lambs that have been slain and whose blood has been shed for them. And now we receive the reality of that. Not in some ideal way, just thinking about, oh, the blood, the blood of Jesus. In holy baptism, we are washed in his blood. In Holy Communion, we commune with the blood that has taken away the sin of the world. And not just the sin of the world, but our sins, that Jesus dies for our sins, which is one of the basic creeds of Christianity from the very beginning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, St. Paul says, beginning verse 3, For I delivered to you as first of importance what I also received. So this formulation, according to Graham Stanton, the late Lady Margaret Professor of Divinity at Cambridge University, says dates all the way back to within two years of the resurrection. So this is the earliest confessed belief of Christianity, the highest Christology right from the beginning. He says this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. 
that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So we have Christ's blood atonement, but Christ's blood atonement isn't just this platonic thing. He actually gives it to us, and he gives it to us in the Holy Communion. And that's where the word communion comes in. To make atonement, this is at one mint. At one mint means to be bonded together. We actually are bonded together with Christ in his blood in the Holy Communion. Paul brings this out in his language in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And there he's speaking about Holy Communion itself. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Now that word there, participation, is koinonia, which is equally translated and perhaps best translated here, not merely participation, but communion. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a communion? Do we not have our union with Christ in his blood? The bread that we break, is it not a participation or communion in the body of Christ? So, so far from it just being a, a platonic ideal, our salvation is so graphic and applied so personally and is so intimately given to us that we eat his flesh and drink his blood. What blood? The blood of the atonement. Why his blood? Because his blood is the eternal life blood. If his life is in the blood and he is the eternal one, if he is the way, the truth, and the life, if he is the resurrection and the eternal life, then to have our communion with his blood literally and truly means that, in fact, our sins have been atoned for. And two, that we have union with him who is the resurrection and the life. So we shouldn't want to push these things off, but desire this, as uh, St. Ignatius said, I desire the drink of God, which is Christ's blood. We should be resorting to this if we want to have that kind of confidence that, in fact, our sins, my own personal sins, have been atoned for. You say eternal life is not merely a quantity of time, the forever and ever kind of time, but a quality of existence, the divine life. What do you mean by that? Well, I think that when we hear the eternal life or the word eternal, we we just think in, in terms of time, oh, this is going to go on forever and in an enduring kind of way. And that is true. That's a, that's a property of eternal life. But when Jesus identifies himself as the life, as the eternal life, as resurrection life, then we need to think of it not merely in terms of a quantity of time, but a quality of existence, the divine life, Christ's life himself. Jesus is the eternal life. And so there's a sense in which we collapse the meaning of it into Christ himself. Just as Simeon, you know, was holding the infant Jesus following his circumcision, and he says, behold, my eyes have seen thy salvation. Yes, salvation is a consequence for us. Yes, it's, it's a status and standing with God. But our salvation is Christ himself. To have Christ is to be saved. To be saved is to have Christ. And over and over again, we can speak about whether it be the love of God or his holiness or his righteousness. And anything that we think that we may have from the Lord as a, a consequence of divine salvation and reconciliation summarily consists of the self-giving of the Son to us. So 
What I'm doing here is, is pushing our thinking beyond merely, oh, living forever in heaven to understanding that to have eternal life is to have Christ himself. And to do so would mean that we're sharing in the covenant between the Father and the Son because the covenant of redemption, the new covenant, is cut in the very blood of Christ. And it becomes ours by way of participation in it. We are justified by God's grace through faith in this Christ Jesus, but there is also something else that comes with that, and that is regeneration, being united to this Christ as a consequence of what he has objectively accomplished for us, and it required a blood atonement, a substitutionary blood atonement upon the Holy Cross for our salvation and his resurrection for our vindication. How does the crowd there in John 6 and even some of Jesus' own disciples react to Jesus' statement about eating his flesh and drinking his blood? They react strongly because these are really jarring words. They knew quite well, not only in terms of an academic or religious enterprise that you don't eat the blood, it was part of their daily habit. If they were to take any animal in hunting, they were to pour out his blood and cover it with earth. In other words, there was a practice and habit that went along with that. It was so ingrained inside them. And it, their lives weren't like ours, where I popped down into Tesco, which is the local store here, or, or to Albert's, as one may do, at Kroger's in the United States, and pick up your packages of meat and what you're going to have there. That's not how it happened. You know, you were usually doing these things yourself or, or assisting in them. So it's much more tangible and graphic for them and habitual. So when they hear Jesus saying this, they turn from him. They're already beginning to ask themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're immediately put off because of Leviticus chapter 17. And then later they're just like, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? In fact, we have to read it more strongly than that. This is an absurd thing. I can no longer listen to this. It's rhetorical. None of us should be here listening to Jesus at this point. And in fact, the text says that after this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Why? Because of what Jesus was saying truly is the will of God, to believe on him whom he has sent, to believe what? That his flesh is true food, that his blood is true drink, and that God has given his blood upon the altar of the Holy Cross to make atonement for our sins. That was a step too far. And so they turn away from this and reject it. And this happened within the, in the church as well, Todd, that many have turned away from this, where is no longer means is with respect to Holy Communion. When Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, they mitigate those words by calling them a trope or a metaphor that Jesus is maybe being analogous or using a simile, but that's not what's taking place here. This is all about communion, communing with him. I love the way that Dr. Just puts it. You know, the, he says, you know, the goal and the purpose of the sermon is to bring God's people from hearing the holy gospel to feeding and communing on the flesh of Christ. And for us knowing that the atonement is for me in this regard. So Jesus, after that reaction, and a whole bunch of his disciples turn away and no longer walk with him, he's got to turn to the 12 and ask them. This is verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. It was over. 
They're no longer in the way. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, when we hear this Holy One of God, it's so fascinating the way that the Holy Spirit does the inspiration amongst the apostles here. Holy One of God, this is the one who is going to make the Holy Atonement. Here is the holy and pure sacrifice, the Lamb of God, and only He can take away the sin of the world because an animal's life is not equal to the human life because it is not commensurate with those who are created in the image of God. But here is the Holy One, the sinless one, Jesus, who is the perfection of the image of God. Whereas we're not to have our communion, our bonding with animals, because their life is incommensurate to ours, here is the one who not only represents but substitutes humanity with his lifeblood on our behalf, and it's him, and with this one that we're to have our communion, our union. Blood atonement is our topic. Dr. John Bombaro is our guest. I'm Todd Wilkin. Your link to issues, etc. Folks, if you appreciate the Christ-centered, cross-focused proclamation of issues, etc., please consider joining the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. It's a group of faithful listeners who pledge to support the worldwide outreach monthly or annually. Learn more about the benefits of becoming an Issues Etc. confessor, apologist, reformer, or patron on the support donate page at issuesetc.org, or just give us a call, 618-223-8385, the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. On the other side, why and how do some popular theologians deny the blood atonement of Jesus? In 1521, at the Diet of Worms, Martin Luther was asked to recant his writings. Luther responded, Unless I am convinced from the sacred scriptures that I am in error, I cannot and will not recant. Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Will you stand with us as we proclaim these Reformation truths in the 21st century? You can take your stand by becoming a monthly or annual contributor to Issues Etc., Find out the benefits of becoming an Issues Etc. confessor, apologist, reformer, or patron on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Click the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses. Help us proclaim the solas of the Reformation. Scripture, faith, grace, and Christ alone. Here we stand, Issues Etc. and you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military. 
The Gospels report Jesus saying some rather shocking things. For instance, in Luke 14, he tells his disciples, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. How can Jesus say such things? What about some of the other more difficult teachings of Scripture? Do you have questions about them? Well, we answer many of these in the October issue of The Lutheran Witness. Pick up your copy today at cph.org witness. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Christ-centered, cross-focused, you're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Advent Lutheran, Zionsville, Indiana. Concordia Lutheran, Sykeston, Missouri. Grace Lutheran, Auburn, Michigan. Emmanuel Lutheran, Everett, Washington. Messiah Lutheran, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our Savior Lutheran, Ridgecrest, California. Redeemer Lutheran, Los Alamos, New Mexico. St. John Lutheran, New Berlin, Illinois. St. Paul Lutheran, Montevideo, Minnesota. Trinity Lutheran, Okmulgee, Oklahoma. And Zion Lutheran, St. Labore, Nebraska. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, We'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. Journal. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're talking Blood Atonement with Dr. John Bombaro. John, how and why do some popular theologians like the late Gerhard Ferdi and Stephen Paulson nowadays deny the blood atonement of Jesus? Well, I think there are a few things to say here. Gerhard Forty has predeceased me and never an opportunity to ask him. And Stephen Paulson, I should hope that he would give some greater clarification on his uh, own articulation concerning the blood atonement of Jesus and the substitutionary nature of it. But a few things that I'd like to say is that the doctrine of substitutionary atonement of Christ pins my sins on Christ, your very sins, Todd, onto Christ himself. So it comes with the resolute reality of human rebellion and treason, and what the wages of that is, and the wages of sin is death. Other aspects of the gospel may mitigate this reality by minimizing or negating the fact of each and every one of our immediate and personal sins warranting the wages of such high treason, which is death. Now, that is a heavy dose of the law, and that's the reality with which we have to deal because so great is our salvation because in such jeopardy are we in this world as sinners and because of our sins. There was also a maxim that came from the 18th into the 19th century German philosopher Immanuel Kant had said that culpability was non-transferable because guilt is internal to the human person, that it belongs to them, that, so that the only way to deal with sin is to deal with this sinner himself. And so the idea of someone coming and being a substitute for someone else in Kant's ideas of justice was a non-starter. And so theologians were looking for other ways, having been rebuffed or thinking Kant's ethics here were irrefutable, were looking for an alternative way to explain substitutionary atonement. I'll also say this, 
that positively speaking, there are attractive aspects of Christ's work on the cross that theologians have discerned that have crowded out substitutionary blood atonement, where Jesus dies and sheds his blood in our place to propitiate God's wrath and to expiate, to remove our sins in the plural. Now, these insights are not necessarily wrong in and of themselves. I'll name a couple of those insights, like Jesus's representation. We talked about that, consisting of place-taking for an entire people. And Jesus represents us in obedience, but it had to be obedience all the way to the very end, and he does so under the most extreme conditions, even death on a cross. That's true. There's another insight with respect to uh, Jesus passes through judgment for a beleaguered people. There's the interchange view where Christ is identified with the human condition in order that we might be identified with his And that's true as well. And then there's uh, another view in which Jesus' crucifixion brings about an apocalyptic deliverance or final judgment. And all these views bespeak of the depth of meaning of Jesus' atonement, of his accomplishment of reconciliation. And each of these offer insights that may have been diminished at one time or another throughout church history. And so highlighting one or more of these can be a trademark of a theologian's career. Uh, They have found that one aspect that's been neglected or, or diminished to some degree, and they tout it, swinging the pendulum far to the other side. And perhaps there's also this notion of distancing oneself from the defamatory accusations that substitutionary atonement is in itself a um, immoral doctrine. And someone to say that it is immoral, that here is a divine child abuse putting his own son to death for other people. Well, notwithstanding all of these reasons, the fact is substitutionary atonement looms large and has always done so because scripture interprets scripture. Because the one holy Catholic and apostolic church rightly proclaims this as the dominant and most precious aspect of the holy gospel that pertains to the church as a whole and to each individual Christian in particular. Christ died for our sins, and I drink his blood for the forgiveness of my sins. So what do these theologians teach instead of the blood atonement? Well, they'll underscore other aspects of the gospel such that tend to mitigate the law dynamic in for a purely gospel one. And so then it just becomes sort of platitudinous Christianity. Or alternatively, as I've mentioned, a number of different atonement theories like in the Tübingen School or the interchange view that we get from a late Cambridge theologian, Morna. And these will be presented as something a bit more palatable. This is something a bit more acceptable to human understanding so that we can comprehend the idea of Jesus's atonement on the cross. It's about more removing an obstacle from us rather than indeed dealing with a penalty that takes place. I think this is the the issue, right? The idea of God actually upholding 
justice, standards of accountability and responsibility, his own holiness, and that humanity literally needs to be cleansed, washed by the blood of Jesus. Not blood that takes away our sin because he himself has taken upon himself all of our sins itself. So what's usually taught are things like sin as a concept, as bondage, and that bondage is broken or removed. We're no longer in that kind of hold, as opposed to individual culpability for sins and that sins themselves warrant death. Can there be forgiveness, divine forgiveness of sin, apart from the blood atonement of Jesus? The answer is no, because the scriptures are very clear about this, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, and that the shedding of blood, remembering that the life is in the blood, the life must be commensurate with human life. This is why, in the fullness of time, the Son of God was born of a woman under the law so that he may redeem those who are under the law, namely us. And he does this not merely by representation in the fulfillment of the law, but also by taking the penalty for our sins, for our violations of the law. There is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And that's to say the blood that can atone. It would have to be a guilt-free, a sin-free blood who can rightly represent humanity and do so because he is the Christ of God, the Messiah, the world's rightful king. The king of the world has come, and he can represent all of humanity and does so, not only as the king, but also as the last Adam. In in fact, uh, we even get Pontius Pilate declaring Jesus to be so in front of both Jew and Gentile, eke homo, behold the man, or behold Hadam, behold Adam, here is the Adam. This is the one in whom you want to be found. So for us to think that God is going to let bygones be bygones and that all of our sins and rebellion are just water under the bridge and that Jesus is providing an example for us is not the case. The justice of God, the law of God needed to meet satisfaction. Jesus does this not only in terms of representation, but he himself absorbs the penalty that is due us and expunges our sins so that we may be justified freely by God's grace on account of what Christ has done in terms of representation, but also substitution. And so notions of substitution and representation are not antithetical to one another, but they complement each other. They should both be understood as parts of what has taken place upon the Holy Cross. And to exclude one or preclude the other is not to be proclaiming the full gospel of God as he has given it to us in his holy word. Dr. John Bambaro is Director of Theological Education for Eurasia for the Office of International Mission of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And he's author of a column titled, The Life is in the Blood. You'll find a link to it on the Talk on Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. John, thanks. It's always a joy and pleasure to proclaim Christ. In Hour 2 of Issues Etc. on this Tuesday, October the 24th, we will begin a conversation on a modern culture's lies about sexuality, faith, feminism, gender roles, and modesty with Dr. Rosario Butterfield, author of the new book, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age.
Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. You can listen to our new audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. It's voiced by the book's author, Pastor Todd Peppercorn, and includes an introduction voiced by Pastor Matt Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Just go to issuesetc.org, enter your email address, and we'll send you a link to the audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression, issuesetc.org, and enter your email address. The Third Commandment teaches us to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We do this when we hold God's Word sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Jesus invites the weak and heavy laden to rest in Him, our true rest, because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. This weekend, rest in Jesus as you hear His Word and receive His gifts. If you are in Southern Illinois, you're invited to join Trinity Lutheran Church in Milstadt to rest in the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Learn more at trinitymilstadt.org. Confessional Lutherans are invited to rent a four-bedroom, three-bathroom Table Rock lakefront home in the Ozarks. Table Rock Lake is a premier lake in the heart of the Ozarks for boating, water sports, and fishing. This log cabin-style rental sleeps 12 and is 30 minutes from Branson and 20 minutes from Silver Dollar City. Learn more by calling Swanson Estates, 713-855-2681. Be sure to mention Issues Etc., 713 713- 855-2681. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com.